Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the Bible in which you reveal yourself to us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our saviour, who came to earth to rescue us from sin and death. And we thank you for his wonderful teaching. We praise you for the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And we pray that as we read it, you would speak to us. You would pour out your Holy Spirit and help us understand what you are saying to us. Help us live out Jesus's challenges in this sermon, I pray. Grant us understanding. Grant us help. Grant us power to live Christ-like lives as a consequence of Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 6. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is this, The Father Who Sees in Secret. And as I read Matthew chapter 6, I hope you will see why I have called the sermon that. So that's what we'll do straight away to kick us off. We're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. Matthew 6, 1 to 18. This is Jesus teaching his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he says. Beware of practising your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus is contrasting in this passage hypocrites with his true disciples. He's contrasting those people who do righteousness publicly. They fast and they give and they pray publicly so that others would see their righteousness and praise them with Jesus's true disciples who practice righteousness in secret. So it's only their father in heaven who sees their faithfulness. 
So straight off the bat, I want to ask you what I consider to be a very, very challenging question. Do you have a rich spiritual life in secret or are you faking righteousness in public? Do you have a rich spiritual life in secret or are you faking righteousness in public? There's obviously a big, big warning here in these verses in Jesus's sermon. Chapter six, verse one begins with the word beware. So there's a big warning. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't practice your righteousness in public, but rather have a true faith that meets with God our Father in heaven in secret. So there's a big warning and a big challenge in this chapter. But there's also something sensationally beautiful, beautiful about the life Jesus is inviting us into in chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. There's an invitation here to a rich, personal, intimate relationship with God our Father in heaven. You know, the true Christian life is deeply wonderful, beyond words in a sense. I can't put into words how deeply wonderful the Christian life is because when you're truly living the Christian life, you do all of life, even your time when you're by yourself in secret, in the presence of and in relationship with the God our Father in heaven, the creator of the universe. And that's wonderful. The God who sees in secret shares life with us. If you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are sharing your life with God, your father in heaven, who sees in secret. And so that's going to be my first point this morning in this sermon. The father who sees in secret. My second point will be your father who rewards in heaven. And thirdly, I'm going to talk about the three spiritual disciplines that Jesus mentions in this text. I'm going to talk about giving, praying and fasting. So firstly, point one, your father who sees in secret. Now, I hope you noticed when I was reading the passage, there's a repeated phrase. It comes up three times. It comes in verse four and in verse six and in verse 18. And Jesus says this three times. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Three times Jesus says that sentence in this passage. Now, quick note on that phrase. Normally in the Bible and normally in gospel in the Gospel of Matthew, where you see that phrase, your father, the your is plural. So usually throughout Matthew's gospel, Matthew's teaching us that God is our father. He's the father of us all. He's father of every single one of us. He's your plural father. But here in verse four, verse six and verse 18, the your is singular. In other words, Jesus in this sermon is emphasizing that God is your father individually. He's your father. He's the father of everyone. Yes. But in this passage, Jesus is saying he's your individual father in heaven. Jesus is inviting us to have an individual relationship with God. 
And we can practice this relationship in secret through the spiritual disciplines Jesus talks about. And so that's just an amazing thing to know, isn't it? The invitation here is for you personally and individually to have a secret relationship with God the Father. I love that. God the Father cares about me enough that we can have a personal, individual relationship. And so Jesus says this three times. Your Father who sees in secret. Now think back um, this past week. Think about all the time you've spent alone this week. What have you done with that time? How have you spent your alone time? How have you spent your time in secret this week? Did you know God saw how you spent that time? God saw what you did in secret. Now, for some of you, that is a horrifying thought. It's horrifying to Christians because you're thinking, well, my public righteousness, the, the way I show my faith is not matched by my secret righteousness. I might pray often in public, but actually my prayer life is miserable individually and in private. I, I might um, fast or give publicly and tell people that I'm doing that, but actually privately in those areas, my life is severely lacking. So that's a horrifying thought. It might be horrifying to you because you've just simply been wasteful with your time. You've binge watched loads and loads of TV. You haven't spent time in the presence of God recognising he is with you. Or maybe that, that idea that God sees you in secret is horrifying because this week you have explicitly sinned in the way you've spent your time by yourself. And so when Jesus says, our Father sees in secret, you cringe. You're uncomfortable with that thought. You're horrified at the idea that God, our Father in heaven, sees you even when you're by yourself. On the other hand, some of you will think that, that is a wonderful thing. You love spending time alone with your heavenly father. You love prayer, knowing that God who created the universe hears you. You love giving generously in secret, knowing that God will reward you for your generosity. You practice fasting because you know that helps build your relationship with God with additional time to pray. You're overjoyed that you get to spend all of your life, even your alone time, with God your father in heaven. So some of you are going to be horrified that God sees in secret and some of you who think, wow, that's a wonderful thing. That's a glorious thing. I wonder which you are this morning. Are you horrified or do you think it's wonderful that God sees in secret? You see, the good news of Christianity is an invitation into relationship with God. God is not distant. I know some people who believe in a God, a God who created the world, but then he just disappeared. He, he doesn't care about earth anymore. He doesn't spend time thinking about the people on earth or loving or caring for the people on the earth. So he created and then he disappeared. But that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God we read about in Scripture. No, the God we read about in Scripture is God who wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you personally. In fact, he wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to be your father and he wants to call you a son or daughter of God. He wants to say, you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you. He wants that so much, he sent Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, his, his eternal son, came into the earth, born in human flesh. He died on the cross for the sins of the world in order to rescue you into God's family. 
everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ receives this gift of adoption and becomes part of the family of God and enters into this personal, intimate, father-son, father-daughter relationship with God our Father in heaven. This is the good news of Christianity. You can have a relationship with God our Father, the one who created the universe. And this is the picture of Christianity that Jesus is painting in Matthew chapter 6. He, the picture of the Christian life is, is a deep, personal, close relationship with God, who is your Father. And I think that is truly wonderful. I think that's a magnificent invitation. My heart yearns for this real personal love and relationship between me and God, my Father in heaven. If you've known loneliness, if you've known abandonment, if you've known rejection in your life, then when you hear this, you know this is truly good news. There is a God who wants to be your father in heaven. He wants to be your father for eternity. He will never reject you. He will never abandon you. And he will always be with you. He wants to share his presence with you in everything that you do. For he is God, our father, who sees in secret. God our Father sees in secret. If you're horrified by that idea, I would encourage you to confess your sin to the God of mercy this morning. He's our Father and he's a God of mercy. So just say to God, I'm horrified that you've seen what I've done in secret this week. Forgive me for the way I've spent that time. And hopefully your, that horrified feeling will start to melt into the joy and the love of knowing God your Father. So firstly, confess your sin to the God of mercy. And secondly, I would encourage you to enter into the joy of relationship with God in all things. I go through life knowing God with me in everything that I do. And that is a true, true joy. God, your father, sees in secret. But secondly, my second point this morning is about reward. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. In fact, that, that, that's a phrase that's repeated three times as well. In verse four, in verse six and verse 18, Jesus says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. And there's another phrase repeated in verses two, five and 16. Jesus when he speaks about the hypocrites who sound the trumpet when they give, who pray loudly in public to be seen by others, who deliberately look sad so that people will notice that they're fasting. Jesus says about those people, those hypocrites, he says it three times, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, the only reward those hypocrites are getting is the approval and praise of other human beings here on earth. God our Father in heaven will not reward those hypocrites who practice their righteousness to be seen by others. But those who are faithful in secret will be rewarded for their true righteousness. Your Father who sees in secret will reward people who are faithful in secret. And so I'm just do a little bit of teaching into this. Do you know rewards in heaven is a biblical idea? We know that we're saved by grace. We enter into the kingdom of heaven 
by grace. It's a free gift of God given to all who believe in Jesus Christ. Their sins are forgiven and they're made a son and daughter of God and they're given citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. It's by grace. It's not by anything that you do. You are not saved by your own works. You do not earn your own salvation, but you are given it as a gift, a free gift of grace from God to all who trust in Jesus Christ. But Jesus is clearly teaching here and the Bible teaches elsewhere that there are degrees of reward in heaven based on faithfulness on earth. In fact, even in chapter six, in verse 20, which I didn't read and Jason's going to preach on next week, Jesus is more explicit. He says in verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know what he's saying, that if you use your wealth well here on earth, you're going to have treasure in heaven. So clearly there are rewards in heaven for faithfulness here on earth. This is a historic teaching of the church, that we receive salvation by grace, that every single one of us in heaven are perfectly happy. We're all perfectly happy. So those who receive less reward in heaven do not become envious or upset that someone else has been rewarded more than them but that there will be people in heaven who receive greater rewards than others. There is reward in heaven for faithfulness here on earth. And in fact, the way Jesus is teaching in chapter six, he's saying the promise of those rewards in heaven should motivate us for greater faithfulness here on earth. We should give because we know that God rewards secret giving in heaven. We should pray because we know God rewards and praying, faithful praying here on earth in heaven. We should fast because we know God will reward us for that secret fasting in heaven. There are rewards in heaven for faithfulness here on earth. You know, Rachel and I actually say this to one another quite often. Sometimes when we're, we're planning for the future and we're talking about making sacrifices for the kingdom of God or making sacrifices for the church and we're kind of hesitant, we'll say, Our reward in heaven will be great. Let's go for it. It's a way of motivating each other to live for Jesus Christ here on the earth. And and so I I want you to let these truths shape how you use your time alone. And the first truth is that God your Father sees in secret. And the second truth is God your Father rewards secret faithfulness. And so every time we're alone and by ourselves, we should remember those things and let those truths shape the way we use our time in secret when we're alone. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter six, in the rest of this passage, gives us three spiritual disciplines to practice in secret knowing that God our Father sees what we're doing and will reward us. And so Jesus talks about giving, praying and fasting and so firstly he talks about giving in verses two to four and for me there are three challenges that come from these verses these three verses verse two three and four three challenges the first challenge is a challenge to people who aren't giving at all jesus says in verse two when you give to the needy when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy, but when you give to the needy. So there's an assumption behind Jesus's words that his disciples would give to the needy. And so if you would call yourself 
a disciple of Christ today, whether you consider yourself to be rich relative to other people in Pharaoh, or whether you consider yourself to be poor, Jesus assumes that his disciples give to others who are in need. And so I would encourage you, start giving to the needy today. Disciples of Christ give away their money to others. They give to the church, to the local church, because the local church uses their money to proclaim the gospel. So to preach the gospel to those who are spiritually needy and the church should be using their money to bless the poor and needy people who need financial help as well. They, they give their money to charities whose work they have researched and look into and say, yes, I want to support that work of helping needy people. And also disciples of Christ give to individuals when they see people in need. They give to those people. They buy the thing that they might need to help them. So that's the first challenge from these verses. Jesus assumes that his disciples give. So start giving today that your father will see your generosity and reward you in heaven. You know, I'm not preaching this to fill up the church's bank account. I'm preaching this for individual Christians that they might receive reward in heaven for their generosity here on earth. The second challenge is a challenge for people who are already giving. And the challenge is this. Are you giving secretly? Verse 3 says, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's how secret we're supposed to be when we give, that, that our right hand wouldn't know what your, our left hand is doing, or the other way around. That our, We're so secretive that even another part of our body wouldn't even notice that we're giving. So don't tell others when you give. Don't tell others how much you give. Don't rob yourself of heavenly reward by trumpeting about your own generosity. That's what you do. When you tell other people that you're giving, when you tell other people about how generous you are to charity, you're robbing yourself of heavenly reward because the people who hypocritically trumpet about how generous they are, they've already received their reward. But those people who give in secret will receive reward from our Father in heaven. And so if you boast about your own generosity, you are robbing yourself of heavenly reward. So start, if you're not giving at all, start giving. And if you are already giving, make sure you're giving in a secret way, not in a public way. And a third challenge for people who are already giving secretly. Can you increase your generosity for greater reward in heaven? You know, I really don't want to knock standing orders. Standing orders are a fantastic thing. And it's great as a church to know we have regular income coming in from the generous members of our congregation who are giving regularly using a standing order on a monthly basis. But some Christians fail to grow in generosity because they've set up a standing order and they just let it run for months and months, years and years without considering how much they're giving to God. And there's two real issues with that. The first is that our giving is to be in response to the needs around us. So, so Christians are to have compassionate, soft hearts. And when we see someone in need, we're to respond by being generous. Maybe we see a homeless person on the street in Fairham and we go and buy them lunch. Or alternatively think, well, 
I won't give them money directly, but what I will do is support a homeless charity that supports homeless people here in Fairham. So we see a need and our heart burns for them, our heart yearns to help them, and so we do something about it. And so we have a peak in our giving and giving to the needy because we see needs around us. And if you've just set up a standing order and just letting it run, then you're not doing that. You're not responding regularly to the needs you see around you by giving generously. There's been plenty in the news recently that should have um, that should have really spoken to us and and convicted us to give more and in different directions and to different charities doing various things around the world. Secondly, so the second problem with just setting up a standing order and letting it run is that giving and generosity are things that we should be growing in. And sometimes we, we, we set up our standing order and then we just let it run and although we are giving and we are giving secretly and there will be reward in heaven, we're missing out on other rewards because we're not from time to time sitting down and saying, Lord, can I be more generous? Can I give more? Are there things that I can give up in order that I have more money to give away to those who are in need? And, and so I would encourage you, if you're already giving and you're already giving secretly, well done, you will receive reward in heaven for your generosity. But can you give more generously? Can you sit down and, and find ways to give more to others who are in need? Because as Christians, that's what we should be doing, growing in generosity. I know there are times where we have to reduce our giving because of the circumstances around us. But personally, my goal is that the percentage of my income that I'm giving to God would grow throughout my life as I grow in Christlikeness. And I think all Christians should be seeking to grow in this area of life on a regular basis. Because when we give, God our Father sees in secret and rewards us in heaven. Secondly, in verses 5 to 15... Jesus speaks about prayer and Jesus calls us to pray in secret. And I just think what God describes, what Jesus describes here is amazing. Jesus says, shut the door. If you go into your room, shut the door and pray to the God of the universe who will hear your prayers, your prayers. He's created all the millions, billions of people here on the planet. And yet he will hear you by yourself when you pray with your door closed in secret. The God of the universe who flung stars into space, who is also your father in heaven, listens to you when you pray to him. Isn't that just an amazing invitation? How can we neglect secret prayer when we know this is what secret prayer is? Praying to the creator God, the all-powerful God, the almighty God who hears us. And so verses 5 and 6 throw up a big question for me. Is my public prayer life greater than my private prayer life? Do I pray lots in prayer meetings and in church services and when other Christians are watching, but actually my private prayer life I neglect prayer, I neglect time alone, I don't get on my knees, I don't shut the door, I don't pray and spend extended time with God in heaven. That's a big challenge, that should be a big challenge to all of us. What looks more impressive, your public prayer life or your private prayer life? Jesus is challenging us saying your private prayer life should be far greater than your praying publicly. Then from verse seven, verse 7 onwards, Jesus speaks into how we should pray. He says we shouldn't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. We don't need to say lots and lots of words when we pray because God knows what we're going to pray for. He can see our hearts. And yet there's something about the practice of praying and speaking out loud to God, our Father in heaven, that's so helpful for us and so beautiful and wonderful. And then Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, a model to help us pray. 
And I know there's going to be plenty of opportunity to look in more depth at this prayer. So I'm just going to very briefly look at the things Jesus prays for here and encourages us to pray for. And as I do that, why don't you ask yourself, do I pray for these things? Is my prayer life modelled on the Lord's Prayer? Or does my prayer life actually look very different? So Jesus starts this prayer with, our Father in heaven. We pray as children to a loving Father. Isn't that wonderful? But not just any Father, the Father in heaven who has all authority. It's a, it's a title, a name of God that we begin our prayers with, which just speaks of God's closeness and love for us, but also his authority in heaven overall. It's a simple but great way to start every prayer by calling God our Father in heaven. Jesus prays, hallowed be your name. We don't start with a shopping list of our requests and things we need. Rather, we say the most important thing to me, God, is that your name is hallowed. Your name is set apart. Your name is lifted up above all other names. Your, your name is shown to be holy in all the world. That's the most important thing. That's the most important thing we need to pray for, that God's name would be hallowed. So many people here in Fareham who do not hallow God's name, who do not glorify God. And yet, do we pray for it? Then Jesus encouraged us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's verse 10. In other words, this prayer starts with a prayer for God's glory and then a statement of submission. Your kingdom, Lord, is more important than my own goals. Your will is greater and more important than my will. And only then, after that, that humble and glorifying start to the prayer, does Jesus pray for, or invite us to pray for something for ourselves? Give us today our daily bread. It, it's still quite a humble request, isn't it? Lord, feed me today. But we are invited to pray for our food. And then forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive our debtors. As Christians, we are to ask for forgiveness. We're to confess our sins. We're to, we're to pray to God to forgive us while also recognising that we need to forgive others in our lives. So let me ask you, do you pray for forgiveness in your own prayer time? And then finally, it's not just praying for forgiveness, but it's also praying that, Lord, after you've forgiven me, may you not lead me into temptation. May you deliver me from evil. Lord, I pray that I ask for forgiveness and then I wouldn't sin anymore. I wouldn't fall back into the same sins that I'm confessing to you and asking for forgiveness now. Would you lead me not into temptation? Help me, draw me back from the edge of the cliff that I might not commit sins against your holy name. I wonder whether you're praying for those things. Are you praying? to your Father in heaven? Are you praying that God would glorify his name? Are you praying for God's kingdom and his will to be done? Are you praying for your food? Are you asking for forgiveness for sins? Are you praying that you would not sin, but you'd be held back from doing evil things? If you're struggling to pray, then use the Lord's Prayer as a model. It will be extremely helpful to you. But the main point here then, is that God our Father sees in secret and rewards those who pray in secret. So let each of us spend time every day with the door shut alone in prayer on our knees before God. You will be richly rewarded for that time here on earth because your relationship with God will grow, but also in heaven for your faithfulness. Thirdly and finally, in verses 16 to 18, Jesus speaks about fasting. And again, in, in verse 16, Jesus begins, and when you fast, you see, there's an assumption. Jesus is assuming his disciples will be those people who fast. 
And so if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, unless you have a clear medical reason not to, you should be setting aside periods of time to fast. Maybe maybe to set aside 12 hours, have an early breakfast and a late dinner perhaps, and then spend the rest of the day not eating, praying and seeking God. And once you've done 12 hours, maybe go for 24 hours. Don't eat for 24 hours. You can drink water, but choose not to eat for that period of time that you might seek God in prayer. And then if that goes well, extend it even further to 48 hours, maybe. Fasting is a wonderful spiritual discipline. It gives us more time to pray. We don't need to prepare food. We don't need to eat food. And we use that time and we use our stomach grumbling to enter into prayer. But also fasting teaches us a valuable spiritual lesson that it's not food that ultimately sustains us. It's God who grants us strength. As we fast, we learn that we depend entirely upon God. And that's a wonderful spiritual lesson to learn. And going without food helps us learn those lessons. The emphasis, of course, from Jesus here is on fasting secretly. The hypocrites look miserable and tell everyone that they're fasting. But the true disciple fasts in secret, even anointing the head with oil so that they look the best they possibly can, so that no one could possibly imagine that they'd be fasting. And so I want to encourage us as a church, I want to encourage us as Christians to take up fasting as a spiritual discipline, to set aside time in the next week ahead to fast and to pray and to rely on God, knowing that we, our God, our Father, will see in secret and reward us for that time. So there's a huge warning here in Matthew chapter six. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others. Have a deep, rich, secret spiritual life of giving, praying and fasting. Don't, don't be like the hypocrites. A big, big warning. But there's also a beautiful invitation, a really beautiful invitation to give in secret, to pray in secret and to fast in secret, knowing that we do those things in the presence of God, our father. And that those are moments of joy and faithfulness and relationship for Christians who live out Jesus' instruction here in these verses. And when we do those things, our Father sees and our Father will reward us here and now in present by deeper relationship with him. But in the future in heaven, there'll be rich reward for the person who is secretly extremely faithful to God. Are you living a deep spiritual life in secret? Or are you practicing fake righteousness in front of others? Let's follow Jesus's commands here. Let's love our Father in heaven by doing these things in secret, by giving, praying and fasting in secret. It's truly a wonderful, beautiful invitation. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, forgive us for the times when we've practiced righteousness before men and neglected you in private, when we have not given generously, when we have not prayed often, when we have not fasted faithfully, would you forgive us for our sin? And would you now pour out your Holy Spirit upon each of us that we might start to live this way, that we might enjoy the individual relationship we can have with God our Father in heaven. Lord, may we step up in generous giving. May we step up in praying in private. May we step up in fasting in your presence, knowing that all those things are actually joyful disciplines and bring moments of relationship with you. I thank you, Lord God, that through Christ, our relationship with you is restored. And I praise you for that and pray we would use these three disciplines to enjoy our relationship 
with our Father in heaven. We love you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your reward. And thank you that you see in secret and will reward us in heaven. We are so grateful, Lord, for the way you bless us. So may we walk and live these things out, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish our service this morning by singing O Come to the Altar, singing about our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. The words, as always, will appear on the screen. Let's sing together.